You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. We're your hosts. I'm the clown you found in the gutter last night, Paula Hobbs, and with me as always is... I am Percival. Percival the Puritan. And we hope you're all having a wonderful 4th of July. We also hope you're blaring this podcast at your family's picnic and telling all your friends about Your Queer Story. Right now! And while you're telling them, make sure to let them know you can check us out on iTunes and that downloading our episodes really helps us out. If they don't have the iTunes, we're also on Google, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and also on our website at yourqueerstory.com, um, which features our episodes and so much more. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at, at @yourqueerstory. We also post links and resources from each episode, as well as different pictures and different and different interesting bits of LGBTQ history. So not just about our. Um, our podcast we post about just events that happened at this time period um but enough about that today we are i just broke away real quick no we're done i'm sorry i'm sorry let me back it up a little bit so definitely go check out our social media and our website at yourqueerstory.com but enough about that today we are going to cover a segment that we'll do about every 10 episodes it's called villains of the lgbtq and basically, we take individuals or groups who have had a major negative effect on our communities and we discuss them, the impact that they had on our queer individuals, and maybe even make fun of them when it is appropriate. Just a little bit. Just not, not a too much. Just a little smudge. Well, it depends on the group and the, the individual and, and how, like, when it happened. No, we're going to fucking drag them through the mud, rip their hair out, and then beat them. <laughs> That's right. That's what we're going to do. Today is our first segment of this kind, and we are going to talk about a super duper fun group of people, the Puritans, and we can make fun of the Puritans because it's been over 400 years since the Puritans are around, and they're not around anymore, and if you're out there and you identify as a Puritan today, I don't know what to tell you. First of all, why the hell are you listening to a queer podcast? Because you definitely should not be. (laughs) Also, we have something called um, anti-gay conversion therapy. (laughs) And if you listen to our podcast, you won't be anti-gay anymore. No, you won't. You might even be a little gay. It's a proven fact. So 20th century journalist and scholar H.L. Mencken once famously stated, Puritanism, the haunting fear that someone, somewhere, may be happy. (laughs) 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 And honestly, while this was a satirical quote that oversimplified the Puritans, when it comes to sex and gender roles, this statement was pretty much on the money. If you're not familiar with your 17th century religious history, allow us to give you a crash course in who the Puritans were and where they came from. 
The sect first formed sometime in the 1500s as a response to the so-called remains of the papacy, papacy, whatever the hell that says, within the Church of England. Protestants then and today felt that the Catholic Church was corrupt and some Englishmen wanted a complete purification of their country. When Queen Elizabeth, who, by the way, has been around since... This was a different Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> no, same one. She's been living <laughs> forever. I'm pretty sure she's a vampire, but nobody's figured it out yet. Oh, wouldn't that be a great conspiracy theory? Yeah. They're all vampires, and they just keep recycling. They change their names, and they come back. They, no, they it's don't like change Twilight. their name. They just add a number to the end. Every time. <laughs> like, all right, Henry, you're back. Oh, is this my eighth time? Yep. All righty. Call me Henry VIII, and let's go. <laughs> Uh, when Queen Elizabeth did not, when Queen Elizabeth the first, because she had to add the numbers, like I said, because she's a vampire. She was the first one. It was the first time that they let a girl be. They're like, she's like, I've been around for two thousand years. You guys never let me raise anything. <laughs> like, fine, Lizzie, you can get up there. Um, so she did not deliver the extensive reforms that uh, few desired. So they decided to form their own branch of the Protestant. Protestant. <laughs> so they decided to form. Their own this podcast is really about me mispronouncing words and getting corrected. So if you like that, you are going to love this podcast. So she, f they formed their own branch, and Puritanism was born. That's right. So, um, yeah, so 1500s when they're formed, if you know about your, um, your English religious history, you know that Henry VIII broke away from the Catholic Church so that he could divorce his wife, Catherine, and then he started his own church, was a which was the exact same thing as the um, as the Catholic Church, only you were allowed to divorce. That was literally the only thing that he changed. And, uh, you know, and that continued. And then some people were like, you know what, this isn't... People... Some people were, I, I think, ideally, like, or not ideally, but um, legitimately mad about it. Because if you finally break away from the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church had such a stranglehold over Western Europe for the first half of... Of, of the millennium they had a, such a stranglehold over western europe so if you like finally break away from them and then you're like okay we're gonna do everything the exact same <clears throat> we're just gonna let people divorce if you hate the catholic church you're gonna be really pissed about that <laughs> right you're gonna be like you uh, guys no we're actually the exact same thing <laughs> i know you all thought this was gonna be something great but i really just didn't want to be with this woman anymore exactly so it's, i formed no, an entire like a, new religion it's like gay republicans i'm sorry if you're a gay republican <laughs> but it's like we're gonna break a we're gonna this this <laughs> this a political party has discriminated against us so much so you know what we're gonna do guys we're gonna come over here and we're gonna do the exact same thing we're just gonna let gay people in that's like that's what the catholic church and the anglican church were it's just gay republicans we love you gay republicans as long as you vote <laughs> in our interests except as long as you're voting for everyone and not just yourselves that's true that's right so, Puritans were a royal pain in the ass from the beginning. If you're, if you're familiar with the character Buzz Killington from Family Guy, that was the appropriate name for every Puritan minister. There is. That's how he sounds. <laughs> me and you, you and me, both of us together. So, Look it up. We should. They were incredibly arrogant and obnoxious and incessant in their demands for absolute purity and holiness. Despite this, they did manage to gain some powerful followers in British Parliament. However, after King James I followed Elizabeth in ascending the throne, he quickly dismissed the Puritans' grievances. Because all royal citizens were expected to be members of the Church of England, and because the Puritans refused to compromise, social pressure against the sect increased. 
In a desperate attempt to flee their tyrannical oppressors, a few believers packed their bags and sailed for the New World, where they promptly set up their own religious dictatorship and began oppressing any and everyone who even slightly disagreed with them. Now, I gotta argue with you on this one. If you've ever opened an American history book... (laughs) Okay, yes. They met all the Indians, right? Mm, Oh, yeah. They made... Best friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They gave them gold and stuff, and the we Indians. They were so good to the Indians. And the Indians taught them how to grow corn. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they had a happy Thanksgiving together where they all sat at the table together mm-hmm. and they shared turkey and corn and potatoes. Bullshit. Yeah. I don't think you've ever. Bullshit. Opened... I don't think you've ever opened an American. Oh, I read, I read about how they came over here. The, the Puritans, the pilgrims, these, these were the pilgrims, if you're wondering. The pure pilgrims came over here because they wanted freedom of religion. And then they come over here and all they do is oppress any and everyone that slightly disagree with them. Like, literally, you could say if, if, if uh, Bradford, William Bradford, who was the governor of um, the Plymouth Colony, were to come out and be like, that's a little cloudy out here. And if you came out and were like, you know what? I feel like it's not that bad. You were banished from the colony. That's how ridiculous they were. And they were dicks to the Indians. They gave the Indians smallpox infested blankets. And they made them ill. And they they raided their camps. They were awful. They were kind to the Indians for like five seconds while they tried to figure out how they could conquer them. Yep. How they could conquer them and how they could sustain themselves based on how the Indians were doing exactly. it. Exactly. If you the, could just the Native Americans, I think. The Native okay, the Native Americans. Well, I mean we're yes, the Native Americans we should be appropriate. Um I mean that's how they were referred at that time, but that's only because the white settlers didn't know it never crossed their minds to refer to these people, you know, in an appropriate way. No, because they weren't the natives. Hello? The we, pilgrims were the, the natives. The pilgrims were the natives. As soon as a white guy gets here, that's when it starts. That's when history starts. All the other people what, just fucking History up. before the white man? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't exist. It really doesn't. Because try to find it in your history book. Even though um, our ancestors came from Africa, uh, history does not exist. So, in case you haven't caught on... Everything you learned in history class about American history is probably wrong. Oh, yeah. It, it, uh, <laughs> it's, Everything. Well, it's just very biased and skewed, and it comes from a perspective that does not lend itself to any people of color or any my quote-unquote minorities or any person that's not a white cisgender person. We're not trying to hate on the white cisgender people. It's just pointing out a, a, a fact. Right. You know, that history is layered and it comes from many different viewpoints. And when you cut out all these those viewpoints, you're not presenting history accurately. That's why we have to have this queer history podcast. Exactly. There was another point about the the um, the Puritans that I wanted to make, but I don't remember. But the yeah. So anyways. So, yeah. So, but they leave America. Um, they leave England. Because the Church of England's not going to give in to their demands. <laughs> they sailed across the entire fucking ocean to a place where they knew nothing about. <laughs> because they were like, no you're not going to agree with fine, us? Fine. Right. That is, that is not the most <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. That's like, like, like a bad relationship when the person decides to move to the other side of the country instead of just like... But it wasn't even the other side home. of the country. The other side of the, the world. <laughs> We're going to cross the Atlantic Ocean. We're going to go to a country. There's nobody there. They didn't have GPS. 
They didn't even have like proper food to sustain. They just went. And when we get over there, (laughs) it's gonna be so much better. We're (laughs) half of us definitely aren't gonna die on the way, and the other half of us die once we settle there. That's not gonna happen. It's gonna be fantastic. We're gonna have religious freedom finally. Why the fuck would you leave? Is it that important? It was that important. It was that important that they could discriminate who they against who they were. Exactly. They wanted to be the ones who they to, to be discriminated. And they definitely had a martyr complex. I mean, there were some things that were harder for them. Like, um, because you were required to go to the Church of England, you know, it was a requirement, you couldn't choose. So people that really bucked the system, like they couldn't get the jobs that they wanted. They couldn't get um uh, the Puritans couldn't get into um uh, like the political parties, so they didn't have as much of a voice. So yes, there was some discrimination, and I get it. But they wanted to be the ones who decided who got discriminated against. So exactly, yeah. If they had left and, and made it open to everyone, I would be like, you know what, you really believe in religious freedom. But they didn't believe in religious freedom. They believed in their religion, and they wanted a place where they could enforce it. So, Absolutely. The thing about the Puritans is they were obsessed with sex. There's no way around it. It's actually a theme that we find in such rep- in many repressive environments. They had dozens of laws in their new books in their new books on the criminalization of everything from adultery and fornication to oral sex and masturbation. There was even an all-encompassing law of lascivious carriage under which one young couple was publicly whipped because they saw each other at a suspicious time at night and we aren't using the word saw as a code word for sex we mean they literally just met up to talk and then they were taken into the public square and they were beaten because they were meeting up at an inappropriate time at night imagine if they had texting oh my (laughs) god that would have been bad regardless of the many restraints puritans were fucking like rabbits the birth rate increased steadily and in one county court alone over 200 cases of illicit sex were prosecuted in the 1670s. So, like, they're making all these laws about sex. So many laws. That was, like, half of their their, their law was on, on sex and what you could and couldn't wear because it might be distracting and, and who you could, how you could have sex. Even married couples were only supposed to have sex that, like, promoted procreation. So you couldn't, you weren't supposed to have oral sex as a married couple. You weren't supposed to have anal sex as a married couple. So if you've watched... Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. It's probably just like that. They lay on the bed. They have mm. this like sheet over them with only a hole around the vagina. Yeah, and it could only be missionary, but it couldn't be like rough missionary. It had to be like a real slow, steady rhythm. Yeah, slow because steady rhythm. No <laughs> that's pissing. how sex is. You just get that one rhythm and that one position, and you just stay there until you come. And that's why they all died. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, the, the Puritans are a lot like the um handmaid's tale like and it also is very very much and what well, in the rules it was very much about like the the church cult that i grew up in like when i was reading this i'm not gonna lie i had a few triggering moments <laughs> because i was like am i am i back in indiana because <laughs> yeah, i could swear that this, like there were just so many rules that would just like reminded me of that did the smog from the steel mill start creeping in the yes, windows it filled my nostrils and i could hear my pastor slash cult leader's voice ringing in my ear as he's screaming in the pulpit about nothing <laughs> ah the greatest sin of all the unspeakable crime against nature was boogery. Buggery. It was buggery. <laughs> Why is it smelled? Why is it smelled? <laughs> Why is it smelled? Oh my god. Why is it spelled like booger? No, it's spelled bug. B-U-G. 
How do you spell oh, How do you spell bug? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, this whole thing. Yeah. No. Well, buggery. <laughs> I forgot to say Buggery. <laughs> buggery was a term used to define both sodomy and bestiality because why not? Obviously, they're in the same fucking category. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> if you're gonna, why, if you're gonna fuck a man, you might as well just fuck a dog. Same thing. Yeah. Actually, my, my dad was said to me once. <laughs> so, buggery. I keep forgetting how to say it. Now I'm, like, stuck on boogery. Buggery. Don't question me. Oh. <laughs> I'm a Puritan, okay? You don't get the question. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, buggery laws date back to Henry the Eighth, the eighth fucking... This, this <laughs> is they going to break on us? No. The 800th, so the 800th year that Henry the Henry has been the king. <laughs> this is eighth go around. <laughs> he passed the Buggery Act of 1533, designed to be the first anti-sodomy law, and would later be interpreted to mean any anal penetration or sex with an animal. These laws applied to both men and women, though homosexual men were the omer omer were the overwhelming recipients of charges and accusations. Um, I don't know what else they were going to do. I, 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 that was the whole point. <laughs> when you read, like, more, like, when you read, like, more of, the, like, the, the news clippings of the time or declarations, it was, even though um, buggery was anal sex, like, it was only, it was made for homosexual men. It yeah. was made to stop homosexual men. Foolproof. Yeah. Gave them no other options. Exactly. Uh, the Puritans proudly carried these laws over with them from England, implementing them as quickly as possible. So, they're like, we're going to leave because we hate everything you do. But this one law that discriminates... <laughs> we're going to take these, but we're going to take these laws against the gays. Yes, because they're discriminatory and that's what we're all about. If there's one thing that I love the most, it's to discriminate against people. And that's why I'm a Puritan. And that's why you can call me Percy the Puritan. This is my character, and I'm going to go with him. Just give him a more time. Percy the Puritan, you got him. <laughs> uh, in 1629, just a few short years after the pilgrims landed in Plymouth, five beastly sodomitical boys... That's an actual quote from, um, from the writings of William Bradford. They were sent to England to be executed for engaging in sexual activity with one another. Yet women were not forgotten either when it came to these dastardly deeds. Unlike the way they were forgotten when it came to equal rights. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hello. Exactly. Discrimination. Gotta give it to everybody equally. <laughs> That's right. Unless you're a straight white man oh, who is also not. religious. We, never, we would never discriminate against a straight white man because that is God's. That is God in human form. Just like Hitler said. <laughs> um, he, he was a yeah. We love Hitler. Us <laughs> Puritans here, we love him. They probably would that, have. He, oh, they would have. They would have adored him. Our current home of Rhode Island actually had the first law explicitly prohibiting sex between women, written in 1647. Yay, Rhode Island! We were the first in something. Actually, <laughs> I feel like Rhode Island's done a lot to make up for it since. Oh no, Rhode Island is great. Yeah, it's yeah. so fucking progressive. Rhode Island is incredibly progressive. But back then, they've always been so progressive that they've had to like progressive be like, well, we're going to be the first to put a law on the books that says women can't have sex with women. But then they, they came back around. <laughs> Despite the many obstacles, gay men still managed to find each other and form close friendships. By tracking the court records of men accused of sodomy in the late 1630s, the Boston Gay History Project connected the lives of several men in Massachusetts. Two men, Thomas Roberts and George Morey, were ordered to cease living together and certainly would have faced much harsher charges had there been sufficient evidence of buggery. Punishments ranged from whippings and public shamings to entire states being confiscated and the accused left in financial and social ruin. 
Nicholas Sension of Windsor, Connecticut, was accused on multiple occasions of acts of sodomy between the 1640s and the 1670s. While he faced mild charges along the way, in 1677, the court had enough and he was publicly whipped, shamed in the town square, and had his entire estate held in bond. Of course, for those who didn't enjoy a place of prominent standing in the community, the punishments were often more aggressive with imprisonment, slavery, or death as the usual outcome. So, I mean, Nicholas Sension was a, um, you know, this is still very much a class society, even with the Puritans. Even though they tried to pride themselves on all men being equal, they still had a sense of class um, yeah, structure. So it's- how it's always been. If you have money, you kind of skate by the law. Yep. If you have money, um, clergymen in the Puritan society were considered high up. They were right there with like politicians, um, and and so so people in that realm, you know, they, they didn't face as aggressive. Unlike the the five beastly sodomitical boys who were sent off to England to be executed. Did they actually get executed? I mean, we don't. I don't know if they, they probably just died along the way. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> just sending someone on a trip across the Atlantic at that time was a death sentence in itself. Look what happened to Pocahontas. What happened to Pocahontas? She went. Are to you kidding email. me? No, Pocahontas <laughs> meant John Smith. <laughs> I, so I don't know. If, all, I don't know if you know Disney. I don't know if you know history, but she was a twelve-year-old girl when she saved John Smith's life. They were not in a romantic no, relationship. She was definitely like twenty-three, <laughs> and she was gorgeous, and she definitely wanted to marry this white guy. Yeah, she loved him. She found <laughs> he was along the riverbanks. Haven't you heard the songs? <laughs> just around the river bend, right? It wasn't Something. about him, but it's the same thing. Okay, well, the point is, just want everyone to know, she was a 12-year-old girl, and uh, they did not get married. She married another John, but it was not John Smith. I think she married a guy named John Brown. And then she went to England, and she died in England promptly because her native blood was not meant for England's uh, already polluted air. Uh, so because church and state were the same in Puritan colonies, the clergy spent hours upon hours writing ridiculously long-winded homilies against the sodomites and then working to translate these sermons into the laws. The laws were infused with references to biblical passages that justified the persecution. Daniel Danforth said in a message to his congregation titled The Cry of Sodom, Uncleanness! I am sure it is at least comprehended under it, Colossians 3, 5, and it brings the wrath of God upon them that practice it, verse 6, who are thought to be those whom the apostle calls soft or effeminate, and they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, detest and abominate the sin of sodomy. The law of God is made for the condemnation of such as abuse themselves with mankind. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.9.10 Tis a fearful judgment of God to be given up to this kind of wickedness. Romans 1.24-28 Tis a capital crime for which the parties guilty ought to be put to death. Leviticus 20.13 And except they repent shall certainly be excluded from the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 6-9 through So if you hated English class as much as I did, you can thank these motherfuckers. You know why? They're the ones who made you cite everything. They have every little place where they got all their verses. Oh, from. they got all the verses. And I didn't. These aren't from the verses. This is him because I know what this motherfucker. Oh, he did. just made them up. No, 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 oh. no. These verses are real. I'm just saying I wasn't quoting the verses. I know what he did because I grew up in a church like this. Every time he put a reference like First Corinthians six nine, he made the people flip over to that page and they had to read the verse or the chapter or whatever he put in there, and then he would preach and they'd be like first timothy 1 9 and you had to flip the page bible 
study was so goddamn long sometimes. You could just flip it pages left and right, over and over. <laughs> that sounds so annoying. <laughs> I would be the so... kid that's like sat on one page and I was like, I would just like move the thing around. Ruffle the pages. Like, <laughs> make a sound like you're flipping them. And it'd be really dramatic. Like, <laughs> but I hate it when the because the pastor knows what he's doing. So he's got a marked in his Bible. So he's just flipping. So as soon as you'd get to the verse, he'd be done and he's going on to the next verse and you're like flipping back to the next verse. I never actually read the verses because he's too busy flipping back and forth. He's so <laughs> passionate about what he's saying. <laughs> so there's actually many uh, sermons like the one above we just read, which follow the same line of thinking. However, it comes as no surprise with that some ministers would privately struggle with same-sex desires despite their outward stance against the great sin. Michael Wigglesworth... Yes, I know that's the gayest name possible, and yes, it is his real name. Was a wildly popular clergyman and poet of the time whose spiritual prose, Day of Doom, is said to have been known by one out of every 20 people in the New World and widely applauded abroad. The poem is a scathing account of man's sin, including lust, sex, and buggery, and a detailed description of God's wrath upon those who sin without repentance. Yet Michael struggled with his own secrets. In his now published diaries, Wigglesworth writes often of his sexual desires, especially for the young men he taught at Harvard College. Such filthy lust, flowing from, flowing from my fond affection to my pupils, while in their presence on the third day after noon that I confess myself an object of God's loathing as my sin is my own, and I pray God make it no more to me. So I am fully erect after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... But uh, sex wasn't the only issue. Oh, did you have something to add? I would just say that, so like Michael Wigglesworth, um, you know, he like, he was very much against, he was very open about anti homosexuality, anti-sodomy, as it was known in that time. But then he writes in his own diaries often about his own, um, his own passions and desires. And then, and then people debated and some people say, well, that's just how people wrote back then. No, <laughs> definitely wanted to fuck all of us. Students. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like, um, such filthy lust flowing from my fond affection to my pupils whilst in their presence. I don't like... I just, I don't know how to interpret that. <laughs> I don't know who was writing that. And like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I actually found that a lot of people who are super anti-gay are actually gay themselves. Why? Because they think it's the worst thing in the world. So feeling that in themselves, they want to fight. They want to fight it because they're feeling it within themselves. Uh -huh. like oh, so they, yeah. they know, yeah. There's something they openly come out against it. Well, yeah, yeah, we do see that a lot. Also, I think the more that you make something taboo, the more you want it. Like the, the Oh, yeah, because you're like, this is so bad. This is so bad. This is so wrong. And then part of you is like, you're right. That's so bad. That's so wrong. You're naughty, aren't you? And you're like, don't say that. Don't be that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a naughty boy. You have some weird conversations <laughs> in your head. Oh, no. I have these out loud when I'm sitting <laughs> next to people in the supermarket. And be like, don't look over at that magazine. Oh, you want to look at that magazine, don't you, you naughty boy? Sir, I'm, I'm just trying to buy cereal. <laughs> like, mind your business, lady. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with myself here. Anyways. So sex wasn't the only issue the Puritans had. They also disdained cross-dressers and women who took roles meant for men. In 19... 
We're going to haul at 300 years, guys. Don't worry about it. In 1696, Massachusetts strictly forbid cross-dressing, and in 1637, Anne Hutchinson was imprisoned and then exiled for preaching as a woman and running Bible studies for women. How dare they? How, are you kidding me? Why was she not cooking? I don't know. That's the woman's place. Exactly. <laughs> according to the Puritans... That's yeah. the, that's the, that, according to them, not us. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> One of her male contemporaries stated in disdain, Jezebel, you have stepped out of your place. You have rather been a husband than a wife, a preacher than a hearer, and a magistrate than a subject. And of course you couldn't do that. You had to be a subject. You had to be a subject. You had to be subject to them. You had to listen because you're a woman. You have to submit to the male authorities in your life like God intended. Absolutely. Read your Bible, folks. Of course, there were many settlers who outwardly balked at these ridiculous standards and prejudices. This guy's fun. In 1624, Thomas Morton and several of his followers founded a non-Puritan colony just outside of Quincy, Massachusetts. They named the town Marymount, which was a deliberate pun on the words mare, as in a uh, female horse, and mount, which stood for bestial sodomy. Immature, yes, but absolutely hilarious. By all accounts, the town lived up to his name of being Mary, not of mounting a mare. As Morton quickly did away with slavery and indentured servitude, erected an 80-foot-tall pole with the horns of the god Pan, also known as Satan, on it, and declared himself the Lord of Misrule. (laughs) This was actually me in a past life. I know this was you. That's what I said. I thought of you whenever I did this. I was like, this is what Paul would do. I would have been so petty. I don't know what I mean. (laughs) I'm going to run my own town. Watch. Paul would have been like, nope, sorry guys, I'm checking out right now. I'm going to go make my town. I'm going to call it Marymount as a fuck you. We're going to dance around a pole to Satan every day. And <laughs> and we're going to get drunk and we're going to have a great time. Yeah. William Bradford, governor of the Mass Bay Colonies, was utterly flabbergasted upon learning that Morton and his merry band would get drunk and dance around the Maypole, as it was called. Singing to the Greek gods of Gametes and Jupiter. These gods were clear references to male lovers in Greek mythology. It's <laughs> just a gay town. It was. It was. It was basically a gay town in the sixteen twenty in the sixteen twenties. And this guy and he got and they did this. They would do this all the time and they would openly like celebrate and just like it was. It was part of it was like being free and expressing yourself, but part of it was also like a fuck you to the Puritans. It sounds like pride every night. It sounds exactly. really fun. I like want to experience that. Why haven't we done this at Pride? Gotten a pole of Satan, danced around it while drunk. Think about it for next year, guys. But also, I think that what Thomas Morton was doing, he took power away from the Puritans when he did this because the Puritans, one of their greatest powers was banishment. They were always banishing people. We just talked about Anne Hutchinson. Like, they took this woman, they banished her. Now, you're in the New World. This isn't... It's not like when you're banished in England or um, in Europe and you can just go to another country they're right next yeah. door. These people literally had nowhere to go. They were like, yeah. good luck surviving in the woods, you motherfucker. Exactly. They would just kick them out into the wilderness. And, and that was like, that was a big fear. That's part of how they kept people in line. That and a lot of physical abuse. Um, but they, that's part of, like, that was the ultimate fear. You're going to be, um, you're going to be banished from the colonies and you're going to have nowhere to go. And what Thomas Morton did is he basically just banished himself. It's like, nope, sorry, we're fine. We'll go. That's okay. (laughs) We'll we'll banish you, I swear. I swear to God we'll banish you. Like, that's fine. We're good with it. We're going to just go on ourselves. I I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I swear to God, (laughs) Thomas, if you leave, you're going to be so banished. It's like, yeah, that's fine. 
<laughs> As we know, the Puritans could never let anyone around them have any type of impure fun. So Bradford assembled his militia and descended upon Marymount. The town was defeated and disbanded while Morton was arrested and sent back to England. He spent the rest of his life warning his fellow countrymen of the maniacal behavior the Puritans were sending into and of their near genocidal treatment of the natives of the New World. Yeah, exactly. So here, back all the way in the 1600s, where all those history books are like, we were so great to the Indians, we don't know why they just suddenly turned on us and started killing us. We don't even, I don't know. And Thomas, back in the 1600s, is like, no, no, they're wiping out these Native Americans. What they're doing is wrong. And he was going, he was telling people, and nobody was listening to him. Yep, so in 1647, Martin returned to America. However, he was limited in his resources and never realized his dreams of establishing a place of true religious freedom. Yeah. So, of course, guess who's trying to be the good guy in history? The gay man who wanted <laughs> to get drunk and dance. He just wanted to get drunk and dance. He did away with slavery. He did away with indentured servitude. Everybody was equal in his little town. And then they came and they shut it down. And they banished him. And it took him 20 years just to get back to America because he was exi- he was exiled like from the entire continent. He wasn't allowed. And he took 20 years, and he's going around, and he's telling everyone, listen, what you're hearing about the Puritans, it, they're not good. They're not good people. I mean, it says that, what it says, the um, the maniacal behavior that the Puritans were descending into, that, I, that was a direct quote that I pulled. And, um, because they were getting, they were getting obsessive in their control, and they were getting obsessive in their rigid, their rigid standards. You know, he was just like, these people have lost their shit. Handmaid's Tale, everyone. Exactly. Handmaid's Tale. That's how it happens. We're, we're on the brink, folks. We are. Uh, we must point out that while the Puritans were exceptional in their methods and punishment of sinners, remember they're responsible for the Salem witch trials. So, yes, these are the same people that decided to burn people alive because they thought they were witches. We can't assume that they hated homosexuals or gender breakers any more than they hated every other sin. However, we can confidently state that those caught in the act of sodomy were punished harsher than those who were perhaps caught having sex before marriage, which was also against the rules. You weren't allowed to have sex before marriage. Or even those who became pregnant outside of wedlock. By the way, 10% of pregnancies happened before marriage during this time. Oh, yeah. But they were straight, so it was okay. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So, <laughs> like, they well, had, I guess you gotta get married They now. had laws. So we can't say they hated all sin. And like, it's like... This is an argument that is used today, right? You hate the sin, not the sinner. We hate all sin the same, but you treat sin different. And that's the problem. That's the rub right there. Because there was a law that said that you couldn't have sex before marriage. And there was a law that said that two men couldn't have sex together. But who's the one who's dragged into the square and beaten? Who's the one who's murdered or or sent out of... Sent to exile. Yeah, who's who's exiled? Who's banned? Who has their entire town shut down? It's not the straight people. Nope. So you can say that they're the same, but the way you treat them and the way you look at them are very different. Um, <clears throat> but maybe this lax in judgment came because those uh, other sins, as we call it, could be easily remedied with marriage while buggery had no fix other than abstinence. So that is something, you know... If you're pregnant, you could just get married to the person who got you pregnant. Or if you had sex outside of marriage, although... Heaven forbid they let the gay people marry, and then they're not having premarital sex Exactly. Anymore. That's an easy way around the rule. But that, <laughs> that's too easy. No, no, no. No, let's not do it that way. Another interesting factor is the way homosexuality was described in the language of the time. While the word homosexual had not been invented yet, 
There were certainly better ways of describing those attracted to the same sex. However, only the most abusive language was used. Sodomy, if you're not familiar with the background of the term, is a biblical reference to the city of Saddam. Of Sodom? You literally said Sodomy. <laughs> Saddam Hussein, you just, you, I, here's the thing. You just make up your mind of what a word should sound like, and that's the problem. Because once you hear the correct <laughs> sound, you still are like, yeah, but no, I think I'm going to go with this one. I do. My brain is like, once it makes up its mind, that's it. <laughs> Sodomy, if you're not familiar with the background of the term, is a biblical reference to the city of Sodom <laughs> from the Bible story Sodom and Gomorrah. In the, in the story, I almost said in the Sodom. <laughs> in the story, God destroys two cities for their incredible wickedness with fire and brimstone, balls of sulfur falling from the heavens. There is a brief account of the men of the city wanting to rape the two male angels. Of course, they're male. And that is how homosexuals got their name Sodomites. So, because I know my Bible, because I'm a good Christian, which is the term that Paul and I came up with, because we were like, we were talking about how Henry, Henry VIII just broke up from the Catholic Church because he's like, uh, I don't like this rule about divorce, so I'm just going to go off and I'm going to make my whole new religion. And Paul and I were like, we should make our own religion. Yes, absolutely. And Welcome to the Church of Christianity. And it's a really great church. <laughs> it's really great. It's super gay, but super inclusive. And um, you can basically do whatever you want as long as you're nice to people. You don't kill anybody. Yeah. You don't rape anybody. You don't steal from anybody. Mm -hmm. You don't harm anybody or their property. So basically, you're nice. Do Basically, what Christianity was supposed to be until people came along and fucked it up. Yes. So, so we don't care. Back. We don't care who you have sex with as long as there's consent. We don't care what you wear. We don't care what you eat. We don't care what you do. We just care that you're a good Christian. And you have a lot of fun every day of your life. And because you only get one life to live. That's right. And every Sunday, we're going to get together. We're going to dance around the Maypole. And we're going to get drunk. And we're going to get naked. And we're going to do it right in the middle of town. And it's going to be great. And we're definitely not all going to be arrested. <laughs> so we're not going to get naked because we don't want to go to jail. But we can definitely do everything else. That sounds fun. That's right. But anyways, back to me explaining the story of Sodom and Gomorrah because I'm a good Christian. Um, so... Sodom also, we don't have a Bible. This is your, this is your Bible, so you better study. Yeah, you better listen. And I know my Bible, folks. I know it real well. No, so I had to read it. This podcast is your Bible, not what he's about to say. Oh, okay, never mind. Fine. <laughs> well, I was going to brag about how much I know my Bible because I know it. Um, anyway, because you were forced, so you didn't have an the, option. But I know it. <laughs> the point is, I fucking know it. So if you go to your Bible, to the Book of Genesis, which is easy because that's the first book of the Bible. You hear a little story. Is that the story. Old Testament? That is the Old Testament. Yes, that's the first half of the Bible. Literally the first page you opened up to is Genesis. That first page is the book of Genesis. And the book is, the Bible is divided up into 66 different books. They're all like little condensed versions, except for they're really long and a lot of it's really boring. Anyways, so this guy named Lot goes to the city of Sodom and he's going to... Um, He's like making all this money and he's living there and he's like one of God's chosen people and he gets caught up in the sin of the city and so God's really mad because the God in the Old Testament's really a dick and you don't have to like that but I'm just saying if you read the Old Testament you can have whatever God you want but if you read the Old Testament the God of the Old Testament is a dick and God's like I don't like that these people are doing stuff that I, I said they shouldn't do so I'm just gonna destroy the whole city I'm gonna kill all these people that's his answer to everything every time you're reading the God of the Old Testament he's mad 
mad about something, so he just decides to kill a bunch of people because he's like, well, we're just going to kill this and start it all over. He does it repeatedly, folks. And that's where the white Christian terrorists come from. Well, probably. All the straight white men who decide they're just going to shoot up schools and do whatever the fuck they want. Well, to be fair, they're reading this shit that's just like, if you don't like what someone says, just kill them. Open the earth and swallow them alive. Create a big flood that drowns the whole world. Decide you're going to rain, send sulfur and fire from the heavens and burn their city alive. Whatever you got to do. But I'll remind you that they're not terrorists. They're not terrorists. They're just mentally ill. Because white people are capable of being terrorists. They're mentally ill individuals who had a hard childhood because their parents divorced at the age of five. (laughs) Exactly. And if you just knew the pain of that, of being... (laughs) <laughs> you can't even you can't even say it it's so <laughs> you fucking knew how bullshit. traumatizing it was to have to go around and hear all these people talk about how many rights you had like my whole life people have been talking about how i have all these rights as a white guy and it's just getting i'm just getting sick of it i'm getting sick and tired of it you don't know what it's like i can do whatever i want <laughs> i don't get discriminated against i can get whatever job i want i can get into any school i can get into any anything i want to and do if you knew what that was like you wouldn't you wouldn't think it was so easy unless you're sarah Suck- huckabee sanders who got kicked out of a restaurant and now she has like extra security detail and oh, shit. oh no sarah <laughs> she, i don't know where you're gonna possibly eat <laughs> she has she literally the president gave her additional security yeah okay good good because it must be terrifying for you god oh the handmaid's tale it's a coming folks and you know what sarah you're gonna be one of the first bitches to go so i hope you're glad that you bought into all of this <laughs> you're not gonna be one of the the wives you're yeah. definitely i don't know what you think she thinks she's gonna be no you know what she's gonna be she's gonna be that evil bitch oh um, the, what's her name aunt aunt lydia yes aunt sarah aunt oh, sarah she would be oh she will be she'll be like shocking people with a cattle prod and sticking their eyes out and chaining them up. Thanks a lot, Sarah. You're going to be the most hated woman in history. We just made this whole thing up for Sarah. But you know what? She deserves it. She's going to listen to our podcast. (laughs) She's going to make a whole statement. Oh, but maybe the president will call us out. I'm sure he definitely will. There... You know um, are you kidding me? The president definitely listens to this podcast. I would... <laughs> no, but here's the thing. You know what's sad about that statement? Because this is a ridiculously obscure podcast. But at the same time, you're not surprised if he did, right? You're, right. Oh, you're yeah. not surprised if he did say something about something. So like any other president in the, in the history would be laughable to think that they might listen to an obscure podcast and call them We're going to get tagged on Twitter. But this president, <laughs> it's not ridiculous. And it's no. not laughable because that's how... It's true. Okay. What I have not talked about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. So the whole thing is, so Lot's there, and and so God's like, I'm going to destroy the city of the city of Sodom, and uh, but first I want to get my guy, my main man Lot, out of there, and I'm going to get his family out. So God sends two angels down to be like, Lot, you got to leave Sodom because this whole thing's going to go up in flames. And while the angels are there, the story goes that the men of the city come around and they start beating at the door and they're like, send us out, send us out the guys. We want to, we want to fuck the guys. Like they just basically, they want to rape these angels. Uh, doesn't explain why they're just, for some reason, they're irrationally mad. They heard two new guys came to town, and this whole mob of men wants to fuck them. That's how the story goes. It's probably the modern equivalent of, like, I hear all these guys on, uh, they're talking about Grinder, and they're like, you get the same fucking 20 profiles when you refresh your Grinder feed, and there's nothing new. That's right. And so now Fresh Meat's here. And so they're like, Literally. we've got new people on Grinder. We're going to go fuck them. So they're beating at the door. So Lot, because he's always a thinker, he's like, look, guys, 
don't take the two angels. These are my friends. I got two daughters here. You can take them and you can fuck them. And the men of the city are like, we don't want your daughters. We're dying of your daughters. We have your daughters every fucking night. We want those guys. And so, so then the angels blind the crowd so that they can't find them. And then they get wild and they run out of the city. Uh, well, that's not exactly. They sneak out later in the night, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're going to make up our own version. My version is that they grab them there and they run out. They book it out of the city. So that is where the term sodomites comes from because these men were craving new male flesh so intensely that they were willing to rape these strangers. But it would have been okay if they raped the daughters. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. I was, absolutely. If they had, and that's why Lot offered them up. That's why he was like, take them. Go ahead. That's not, and that's the second, there's another story in the Bible that's almost similar where a guy goes and visits and the men of the city come and they're like, we want to fuck this guy. But in that story, the guy has a concubine and he's like, look, you can have my concubine. And he sends her out and she gets, the Bible talks about how she's raped all night by the men of the city. And then she crawls back to the door of the, um, of the house and she dies on the, uh, the footstep. She dies on the door of the, um, she dies on the steps and then he takes her and he hacks her body up and he sends it to the other 11 tribes of Israel. He's like, Hey guys, look what she, they did to my concubine. You guys need to come out here and make this right man. He's the one that sent her out there to be raped all night. And so then the whole war happens. So if you're wondering why I have second guesses about the Bible, those are the stories in it, motherfuckers. Read it. Instead of waving it over your heads, acting like you know what the fuck it's talking about. That was, like, more graphic than the scary YouTube videos I listened to. I know. The Bible is so graphic. It's so graphic. It's full of incest. It's full of rape. It's full of torture. Like, literally, Game of Thrones is the Bible. So if you think Game of Thrones is, is intense, that's the Bible, and that's what you're reading to your children. But go ahead. We should get back to the story. I was just explaining why we're called sodomites. <laughs> so sodomites was actually one of the better terms used. Usually the sin of homosexuality was described as crimes against nature or the unmentionable vice as well as the tried and true abomination. Uh, those who defy gender norms also received the label of abomination as well as Jezebel, pathetic, a much harsher slur of the time, or the standard sex deviant. Simply by labeling same-sex attraction in such harsh and condemning terminology, we see why a society would remain resistant to accepting their queer friends and family. We see this in other areas of history where people of color were kept as second-class citizens in the minds of their white counterparts through the derogative use of language. Our words truly are more powerful than we realize. Mm -hmm. And that's very true. People don't realize mm -hmm. uh, what they say. They think they're just saying something. They don't realize yeah. that they could actually... They don't realize how it's, it's so powerful. When they're like, they're like, oh, this is what I've always called black people. Like, I, you know, I have family that lives in the South and they're... They're good people, but they still use. I, they are good people, but I can't. I can't justify their racism. Like they use these incredibly harsh. They use racial slurs when they're talking about people of color, and they're like, "Yeah, that's just what I've always called them." Or, "Yeah, what what, what you don't understand is there is a difference between this oh, person and that person." Oh my god! And they're like, uh, <laughs> uh, "No, no." So this is why you have a hard time accepting a black person or a Hispanic person a person of color as your equal because you constantly use derogative language right. when you're describing them and then you just justify it like, well, yeah, but... You're always putting them a level lower than you by mm -hmm. using these words. Yeah. And then you're like, no, I think they're equal people. But really, in your mind, 
by using these words and everyone around you and everybody that you've brought up and like it just you can't you can't think of someone as equal when you constantly use derogative terminology when you're describing them you don't you can say you do however you want but your derogative use of your derogative terminology proves that you don't in your mind in your subconscious you do not see them as equal and until you get rid of it and that's why we fight to get rid of this derogative language that's why we even fight against things like saying that's gay which i know it's hard especially when you're part of the gay community yes you know but it's true when you're saying when someone does something lame or stupid and you say that's gay you're you're reinforcing the idea that gay because those we have taken the word gay you're reinforcing that there must be something wrong with it that's why language matters Michael Bronski is a historian and author of A Queer History of the United States, our main source for this episode, and uh, going to be a main source for a lot of our episodes. And he stated the Puritans' irrational fear of anyone different perfectly. In the European mind, the non-gender normative and non-sexually normative body, however defined in each period and circumstance, was the dangerous body, the less-than-human body, even the disposable body. This wedding of draconian moral judgment to the need to separate and punish led to violence, particularly sexual violence, that was to shape attitudes in future centuries. Throughout history, sexual and gender deviance have always been used as reasons for almost all cultures, no matter how progressive, to deny certain people full rights as citizens. It's always so easy. People always in uh, history want to have someone lower than them. Mm-hmm. So what's the easiest thing to do? Well, they're gay. Yeah. That's easy. You're they have a different skin me. color. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Anything that sets them different than society's quote normal, mm-hmm. it just, I mean, that's and their if, easiest scapegoat. Yeah. And even if it, well, no matter what, whatever your society it depicts, like the Puritans were very, um, were very oppressive towards Catholics. So even in a religious setting, like how we are today towards Muslims, right? This is our main um, religion, and you have a different religion. So, like you said, whether they look different than us, whether they act different than us, whether they worship differently than us, we find the people who are the minority, and as it says, we you treat them as less than human, and the more we use that language and the more we view them that way, the easier it becomes. That's why people can look at these children on the borders being locked in cages oh and separated from their families and going through horrendous atrocities and be like, well, they shouldn't have come here. Well, I don't know if, uh, if you're going to come into our country legally, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's a big difference between your ideas on immigration policy and whether a child should be locked in a cage. There has to be a difference Absolutely. there. They can be deported back to their country. Why the fuck are they detained and separated from their parents? I mean, exactly. not, I'm not saying that they should be deported back to their country, but I'm saying that's a lot different than locking these kids up in cages like yeah. animals. It's two different arguments. The argument switched, shifted. What happened? The argument shifted from in- immigration policy to treatment of human beings. And a lot of people, because they do not see people of color as equal human beings, they don't have a problem with the treatment of these children. They don't have a problem with not providing refuge to refugees that are, are fleeing from horrible, like, um, abusive, like, not abusive, but, like, violent countries where they're going to be killed and just being like, well, I don't know. I'm sorry. Sucks to be you. I have my middle-class white life. Mm-hmm. I go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I go to my 9-to-5 job. Mm-hmm. I have the house that my family left me. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why you can't just do all those things. If you, you know what your problem was, you weren't born in America. You should have been because if you had just you decided to been more, if you had just decided to been born in America, none of this would have happened to you. And if you tried harder, you obviously weren't trying hard. Oh yeah, you don't try hard. You don't know. My ancestors when they came over here, they worked hard. They earned their citizenship. First of all, you don't know diddly shit of what your grandpa actually <laughs> did. So don't give me that fuck. Like you actually looked that far into your your history. Secondly, immigration was different than it is now. You know, way back sail on a fucking boat and walk on the land. <laughs> what did the pilgrims do? What was their immigration policy? <laughs> you know, they walked on and killed everybody. <laughs> exactly, that's their immigration policy, and that's why we're so terrified of immigrants because we know what immigrants can do. They can come into a country and they can slaughter everyone there and start their own regime, and that's why Americans are terrified of immigrants because they don't want immigrants to treat us the way that we treated people when we were immigrants. The Puritans were soon overrun by other sects of Christianity often created by the many people they banished from their communities, which, I don't know. <laughs> you can't kick everyone out. And like, so they start with, like, say, a town of a thousand people. They're down to, like, ten people. They're like, we, got the we, we have the most pure, best, best town, best village. And then they look to their left. There's just massive cities. It's true. <laughs> it's always, they keep kicking people out. You're right. Until there's, like, no one left in their town. And they're still like, yeah, but we run things around here because we're the Puritans, we run things, and uh, I don't know if you guys heard, we, we settled here. <laughs> so, they did leave a decided impact on the country as a whole. Even today, in some extreme branches of fundamentalism, we can still hear their same tired prejudices and fear screaming through the mouths of a few irate pastors across America. But most importantly, we have had to grapple with the impact they had in our laws and cultural perceptions of LGBTQ individuals. Today, we continue to progress and find ways to embrace and accept the emotions and love the Puritans tried so desperately to squash. Yes, we have definitely moved on from that Puritan society and mindset, but... um... But yeah, it's something think, we still battle today. We do. I mean, it's like, like so. I said I was I was only slightly joking when I said when I was um, studying this, it was triggering because it does the the way I grew up. Like the, when I was reading the sermons and I was reading through all these sermons, that one little clip that I pulled from Samuel Dansworth was from a very long sermon that was so goddamn boring. But also, like it could have been if my pastor from the the cult I grew up in had preached that sermon, it w- I wouldn't have known the difference between him and Samuel Dansworth because it was the same thing. It was the same terminology. It was the same idea. It was the same hellfire and, br- and brimstone. Everybody's damned. Everybody's sinning. Everything is wrong. And and I think that's more popular than people realize. Oh, absolutely. They think, you guys are gay. You have everything you could ever want. When we're still fighting prejudices, we're still yeah. fighting discrimination, we still don't really fully have all the same rights. They just ruled that it was legal for uh, places to deny us business because yeah, they're gay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. the there's a Supreme Court um, justice leaving mm-hmm. who was key in making ensuring that, you know, uh, the right to marry and everything passed. Yeah. So who knows what the fuck's going to happen next yeah, year. Yeah, no, I, no, and that's what I mean. Like, people don't realize how these prejudices are still in our country. When Obama was here, I think just a lot of people, like, we had so many advancements and a lot of people just were like, look, we're good. We're in a good place. We can't lose this. But we can. And I want to, we didn't read about this, but the Puritans in several colonies would 
they had they enacted these laws against buggery and then they repealed the laws and then they reenacted them and the same thing with gender roles like they enacted laws about cross-dressing and then they repealed the laws and then they reenacted it you can lose your rights people you can like just because you're you can just because a law against you's been repealed doesn't mean that it can't be put back in place absolutely that is all for our episode today we hope you enjoyed this different perspective of queer history, and we hope that you'll join us every Wednesday when our episodes drop. Also, we'd love to see you on our social media accounts, so find us on Facebook and Twitter at Your Queer Story. And don't forget you can subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, which would be very helpful if you uh, did that. It would be helpful in getting our name out there and getting us noticed on iTunes. But otherwise, check us out on Google Play, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, or our website www.yourqueerstory.com. And before we go, we want to mention an issue that a listener in the UK brought to our attention. Yeah, someone I just someone reached out to us and they asked us to talk about this issue and we decided we did want to talk about it. So if you play rugby or if you enjoy it or if you just think that sports in general should be inclusive, then we want to encourage you to openly support, support inclusivity. Uh, the listener who reached out to us is a transgender man who has found it hard to find a league that will let him play at all. And when he has found a league, he's often been the subject of harassment and physical violence. Today, he's fighting for inclusive rugby in the United Kingdom and will uh, have a link for any overseas fans to check out if they want to help directly with the issue or if they want to join a league that supports LGBTQ individuals. Yes, and we want to point out that this is an issue for many queer sports players, but especially trans athletes. Oftentimes, transgendered individuals are denied access to even joining a league because parents or league officials don't have an understanding or tolerance of our communities. This lack of inclusiveness denies all trans people, but especially trans children and teens, from experiencing one of the most fundamental pleasures of childhood, which is sports. Being part of a team, building relationships, working towards a bigger goal, and in some cases creating a career, these aspects of athletics are denied to kids who have are who are already facing the incredible challenge of being true to themselves and adults who have enjoyed a game in their younger years and now simply wish to have a constructive use of their time are being marginalized by their peers so not only is it incredibly transphobic it also fosters a toxic environment for any individual who does break through the barriers and joins a team so support inclusivity and sports check out our social media for links about this issue and make sure to tune in next wednesday and most importantly don't get a lobotomy, you buggards. That's right, and stay sexy and strong, you succulent sapphists, and you adorable little questions. Yes. Our recommended resource is going to be the links that we drop for the inclusive sports, because we recommend that you look into them. Absolutely, because supporting inclusive environments helps everyone, no matter who you are. And it's something that everyone who listens to this podcast should be truly passionate about. Exactly. And we'll get some links to maybe inclusive leagues in your area. And an inclusive league, that it means exactly what it says. It's inclusive for all. And that's what they're trying to do in the UK. They're trying to start a league that they they have started a league that's called the Inclusive League, I'm pretty sure. And it's... um, That's really direct. Yeah, yeah, they're not (laughs) fucking around. They're like, this is who we are. But, you know, now they're trying, you know, the league, you've got to get players for the league and you want to, you know, get sponsorships for the league. And so, and there's only a few leagues like that in in America as well. And, of course, there's certain parts of the country you're not going to have anything like that. And that's why it's important, you know. So we'll draw, so our recommended resources is to look into leagues in your area and 
um, also to support it, if whether if you don't like to play sports or not, at least support, you know, advocating for those leagues to be available for those who do want to play. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.